everybody. You are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, here with Dan Allen. Hey! And we are continuing our series on how to read the Bible, our section on application. Mm-hmm. And today we are talking about a principle that we and others like to call text and framework mm-hmm. text and framework and as we like to do dan you like to give us a picture or an illustration i assume mm-hmm. that's where you want to start today sure yeah and i think this one goes back to dick lucas directly okay uh, dick lucas uh, still uh, around today uh but w- was a uh, proclamation trust is what he started uh, a, training, found, a training. founder in a lot of these kind of word ministry yeah. movements because yeah. i have i still have it it's an old dvd of him teaching and I remember seeing it on there. This so I think this, this principle. I think, yeah, I think yeah. this comes from from him. <clears throat> Anyhow, the picture uh, is you start off with a, a large F, the letter F, and then underneath the letter F you have a small letter T, and then on top of the F, um, I like to put a crown on the top, and that's demonstrating the 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 framework F. is king over the text T. Okay, yeah. the idea is that we all have frameworks. We all are born with them or, you know, we kind of raised in a culture. We have them. A lot of them that we don't necessarily think about them all the time, but we have them. We just okay. have frameworks yeah. about how we view the world and, and life and such. Um, but we don't want uh, the, our framework to be king over the text. We actually want the text to be king over the framework. So after you have the F over the T, then you cross that off and you switch it right next to it. So you put a big letter T small letter F underneath it with the crown on the top of the T okay. saying that the text must be king over our framework. Okay. So, so the text, text being scripture there yep. and frameworks being kind of the assumptions that we have from whatever yep. area, maybe, maybe instincts we have, impulses yeah. we have, beliefs we have, yeah. you know, what we, we don't want to impose those on the text. That's right. It's unavoidable that we bring those in mm-hmm. our interpretation of scripture. You know, we're not brains on the stick, on a stick, that just can interpret scripture sort right. of entirely yeah. neutrally. We always come to scripture as we are with our beliefs, with our assumptions. Yeah. But what we want to do is we want to be self-conscious, try as best we can to be self-conscious of those. Yeah. To let scripture then stand over those That's right. rather than impose those on the text. That's right. Another way to say it is we don't want we don't want our framework to shape the text. We want the text, the, the scriptures, to shape our framework. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're always going to have a framework. The question is, is our framework being shaped and reshaped by scripture or are we trying to shape scripture according by our framework? Right. And so we want, we want to make sure the text is actually shaping us. Yeah. And hopefully as Christians, we develop a better and better framework. That's right. As we come to scripture, our framework, um, in as much as we do have it unavoidably, Mm -hmm. um, even, even in in a measure when it's a good framework, that's right. Yeah. There are some good frameworks. It's actually a helpful aid in interpreting scripture, like having coming to scripture with Christian convictions. Yeah. Um, but the more, but nonetheless, letting scripture constantly have its way with those frameworks to make sure they're actually, um, in line with scripture and not twisting the scripture into saying something that's not, Mm -hmm. um, it actually helps us then in the long runs as it creates, it creates something of a a hermeneutical spiral, as some have said, um, where our framework will hopefully get more refined and actually aid us in interpreting scripture. Now, the interesting thing about the text and framework, part of the question is where do you put this principle? Is it more an observational principle or an application? Um, if you remember before an actual principle, there was this one called, uh, under scripture, Mm-hmm. And that was more of a conviction of uh, an, an approach, the heart, placing our heart under scripture. Yeah, yeah. So that's 
there that's very close to this. Texture framework, I like it as an application because it's then kind of coming back and saying, okay, are there parts of my framework that are a little bit resistant to this reality that the, yeah. the text is claiming on yeah. me and should it be reshaped and such? So it's, it's then kind of come, it's, it's coming full circle almost at that point. Yeah. So we started off with, rather than standing over scripture, we want to stand under scripture. Yeah. We, we put that at the beginning of our, of our yep. series here, yep. but this is at the end. I, and actually this is one of the, this is one of the ways I like to think about applications mm. or responses to a, a passage is asking the question, does this challenge what, what aspects yeah. of my framework might this challenge yeah, that's right. or require me to reshape? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a really yeah. helpful application. Yeah. So what, um, when we say framework, well, let's just at least give some ideas of what our frameworks that we all kind of walk around with. What, what would be an example or a couple examples of frameworks? Yeah. So at its core, the framework would be like beliefs or assumptions, mm-hmm. ideas, outlooks that we have. Mm-hmm. So like a worldview might be something like that, like a whole mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. view, the convictions that you approach life with. Um, but it could, but the different, like the different, uh, types of frameworks that are involved in that might be something like your theological framework. Like mm-hmm. maybe you come to scripture assuming that, that, uh, God's sovereignty is, is essentially limited by human free will. And so you kind of go from the assumption that God, that, uh, Humans are sort of, they operate independent of God mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you're trying, and all of a sudden you come across a passage that's talking about God's sovereignty and now you're trying to square that with those yeah. assumptions. Mm-hmm. So you can have a theological assumption or, you know, if you're assuming, um, uh, that's just one example, but other theologies, maybe you're assuming you're coming from a perspective of infant baptism versus believer's mm-hmm, baptism. Mm-hmm. And so kind of imposing that on the text. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that this, yeah, the, the theological framework is a great example as where that can be really helpful for us, right? Is we, it'll, it can protect us from making false interpretations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it can get in the way of like us not actually letting the text be king. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. That, yeah, this is a great example. So we definitely want to like, we want to self consciously, you know, adhere to historical Christian teaching mm-hmm. and allow those frameworks to be helpful, but also, let scripture evaluate as needed yeah. and not impose, not, not make the text say things it's not saying because of a framework. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. Um, I would say even like, uh, political frameworks. Yeah. Right. The, just things that we think politically. Yeah. Um, that would be another one. So working from certain convictions and uh, assuming that these political sentiments are therefore mm-hmm. like Christian necessarily. And mm-hmm. so you kind of like make a text fit those ideas and, and kind of, yeah. force it into certain categories mm-hmm. or disallow it from challenging certain mm-hmm. things that it ought to be challenging about your politics. Mm-hmm. Um, cultural customs or mores would be mm-hmm. other things. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. like one of like one example could be like stereotypical gender roles and how you, mm-hmm. maybe you come across mm-hmm. a passage that's talking about gender and you just, you maybe import a lot more into the passage and what it's right, actually right, saying right. because you have a certain idea of what, what a what that actually looks like you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um life life experiences just things that we've experienced sometimes maybe uh maybe you've experienced something hard in the past and then you come to something in the text that it i don't know paints a certain picture and it's just hard for you to yeah to think that 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 couldn't automatically be evil or something like that or uh, we were thinking about this uh this morning uh danny and i were reading uh uh, we're in chapter 47, I think it is, of Genesis, either 46, 47, when um, uh, Joseph buys all the land and all the people of Egypt for Pharaoh, you know? And our knee-jerk quick reaction is like, 
just because from where we're kind of raised in is like that much power for one person is evil. It's wrong. It's bad. Yeah. And so there are some people that take that approach that maybe uh, Joseph's exploiting them, uh, exploiting all the people as, as sort of like this one government that's going to rule over the people and enslave everybody. And yet there's this phrase in there, verse 25, that says the people come to Joseph and say, you've saved our lives. And within the whole scope of the whole story, um, that's what Joseph even tells his brothers, like, don't be upset that you sold me here because God sent me here to save yeah. to save many, yeah. right? So this is part of the mission. This is a, a thing of salvation. Yeah. Joseph's rescuing the people so, so like, that they don't die. that in our American standpoint, we're kind of like, oh, someone has a lot of power. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're very, like, like, bent how, on. How dare he? Yeah, we're very yeah. bent on, like, people need their freedom. Yes. Like, don't let the government be too big. But other cultures, that's not necessarily mm-hmm. an assumption. Um, but, but life experience too, where if you've gone through something hard or, um, mm-hmm. maybe one thing would be to say, um, you know, when you're coming across a scripture, if there's, if you've ever experienced those times where you just have that, ex- that experience where you don't really like what this, what you yeah. think the scripture yep. is saying, yep. that's your framework. Yep. Um, and, that's right. and, and being aware of that. Uh-huh. So maybe an experience you've had where you feel like, oh, this is a hard truth. I don't know if I really like this because mm-hmm. of maybe something you've gone through, That's right. but it's something that you need. Yeah. yeah. Uh, scientific frameworks yep. could, could be there. And um, obviously there, there could be other frameworks. You, we get the point, right? But it's just this idea that we all kind of have these assumptions, beliefs, not necessarily wrong in themselves. We all have them, but it's make sure that they're shaped. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, right, that we are to be um, transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's what we want to have happen is our minds are renewed by the scriptures, shaped by the scriptures, so that what God says is true and right and good is the same thing that we proclaim is true and right and good as well, right? Or Second Timothy 3, that when, when uh, Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's useful for teaching, Right, it's to, to instruct us, to correct us, to rebuke us, and train us in righteousness. So we want we want the scriptures to have that effect um, on us. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, hopefully, we all hear that and we're like, "Yes, I, I want that. I, I want to be transformed. My mind, my framework, I want to be transformed, shaped by the text." Right. Hopefully, we can all agree on that. But we should at least ask the question: Why? Why do you think we are tempted to keep our frameworks as king over the text? Yeah. Because I think that's just a reality. Yeah. We we generally like our frameworks. Yeah. And it really goes back to the very uh to the very beginning of humanity, right? In the garden. Mm-hmm. Did did God really say? Is God's mm-hmm. word really good? Um I think on a what we confess, what we confess we believe, yes, we want to say yes, God's word is good mm-hmm. and we want to be challenged by it. We want our frameworks to be transformed according to it. And yet we also want to be the masters of getting to determine what is good and what is right and what yeah. is beautiful and what is true. Right, we, right. We, whether we don't necessarily want to admit this, but we we think that we we know what's best. That's right, yeah. And we yeah. make an idol oftentimes, too, of our frameworks, whether that's, you know, like certain political ideas we have or certain cultural assumptions that we <clears throat> carry, um, you know, whatever it is, like yeah. we hold these things dear. They're, we consider them deeply a part of us. And so to have those challenged, it, mm-hmm. it, it goes against the grain. And yeah. so it's to be, it, it, you're only going to be able to actually um, implement this principle, text over framework, out of a deep conviction that mm-hmm. what scripture said is, is, what scripture says is true and yeah. is good for you. And also with a deep self consciousness uh, of your own deceptive ability yeah. to resist that. Yeah, that's that's very well said. I, I fully agree with that. Um, 
Yeah, this can this can be hard work. Then it's it's hard heart work. Oh yeah, right? because we're we're talking we're going not we're saying it's just not about being able to um, agree. Um, what's that? Cognitively or yep, mentally. make a confession like yes, I agree with this text, but actually like I agree with it inside, and I'm willing to be reshaped by it. Yeah, and that that's not always easy, right? So we sometimes we're going to be faced with our true selves. And what, what we're actually believing, what we're actually hoping in. And what so, we're doing okay. here is not just then, it's not just the work of interpreting the passage, mm-hmm. like sort of abstractly distant from us. Mm-hmm. That sort of, we can kind of find that comfortable. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm just going to deal with the passage. What's the passage saying? This is actually requiring you to do some exegesis on your own heart. Yeah, that's to right. To actually do some interpretation on what's going on inside and asking the question of how, how am I responding to this mm-hmm. passage? What, what's going on in that response? Mm-hmm. What does that indicate? Yeah. Um, and being self-aware uh, and self-critical, which yeah. we don't like to do. Yeah, that's right. So let's uh, let's just do a quick example here. Let's say uh, Psalm one. Um, again, we could probably have a better main point stated, but for the sake of the discussion, uh, let's say the main point of Psalm one. That's that's uh, if you remember, that's the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But um, he delights in the law of the Lord day and night, and on his law. He meditates, or he delights in the law, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water. You know this one, right? Yep. Okay. So let's let's say, for the sake of discussion, that main point is uh, stability. The scriptures can provide stability for the righteous in this life and the next, right? Because he talks about he'll be like a tree planted here uh, by streams of water, bears fruit. The wicked are not so; they're like the chaff. But then he also then turns to the future. The wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous, nor the sinners in the in the judgment or whatever. Um, so it's to, the scriptures can give you and I stability in this life and the next, right? Straightforward truth, probably not anything. I'm guessing you've heard that before. Yep. <laughs> right? um, the, 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 the reality is, is a lot of us walk around with frameworks. I walk around with a framework of what truly can find I can, where I can find stability. Yeah. Right. And so this is going to challenge certain things that I actually look to for stability in life. Where does stability in this life come from? Mm-hmm. Well, it comes from having a bank account that's got money in it mm-hmm. or insurance or life insurance or a car or a home. Or as a parent thinking that the best way to provide stability for my kids is a good education. Good education, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and so we could rattle on all sorts of ideas. And the reality is, is we oftentimes live as if stability in this life is going to be found somewhere else but the scriptures. And so we're going to be confronted by this reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we all, we would want to be shaped by this truth. And so that's, that's the, the idea then is to, to allow this principle to cause us to pause and look at our own frameworks and say, is this text actually, not only do I believe it confessionally, but also in internally, am mm-hmm. I going to let that truth actually come in and kind of clean house? Yeah. So to say. Yeah. It's looking at your functional theology, not just your confessional theology. Yeah. So to say. Not just what you say right. you believe, but what actually you demonstrate to believe in right. your in your actions. That's right. Yeah. So um just thinking about how we how we can practice this, um, you know, there's two two kind of helps that, that might be able to help us. Um the first would be just reading in community. I, yeah. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, especially if you can read someone that comes from a different background. Uh, that can be extremely helpful. Yep. Um, different background in terms of maybe different culture mm-hmm. or, you know, different nationality, but even different gender. Yep, um, totally. 
different um different ages yep. different generations and this is this is yeah. one of the beauties of like how god has equipped his church that's with right. a variety of people that's right um and that we need each other that's right um to to help um not 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 that we're denying the sufficiency and the clarity of scripture but mm-hmm. we're saying that our understanding of that sufficiently sufficient and clear scripture is enhanced yeah. as we as we pool our resources together yeah. To yeah. study it together. I mean, that, that's a great point. Even here's a quick plug for diversity in small groups. You know, yeah. I think sometimes we want like a, a small group of, it's all married, married people with young kids or whatever. So now we can do a thing on parenting, which yeah. all may be true. Yeah. But there's they something, have its place. Yeah. It may, there, there's something good about having a variety of people, um, yeah. for us, uh, especially if, if, we're going to be focusing on reading scripture together. I remember when I was in seminary um, at Trinity, Trinity International University. I'm not kidding about the international part. There's a lot of students mm-hmm. from other countries. Mm-hmm. And at times, like, they would just just being able to have the experience of being in a class where some of them would, you know, when the professor would start taking questions from the floor or a student would raise their hand, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to hear even some of the questions that they would ask that I would never even think right, to yeah. ask. Right, yeah. Um, because of their different cultural situation. And yeah. it creates uh, more opportunity to think about the passage and mm-hmm. to have your own cultural assumptions challenged. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, here's a list of questions, too, that you could ask um, after you've kind of gone through the whole process of observation, interpretation, to the original audience, 2A, 2B, interpretation, a lot of the bigger picture, and now application. Here's a couple questions you could ask. Uh, one, you could say, what sort of beliefs might the claim of this passage challenge? So that one, you this, this makes it even a little bit easier. Step out of the picture for a minute, right? And yep. just say, what are beliefs that this passage could challenge? And then kind of jump into that and say, okay, well, what are those might I hold? Or, or yep, yep. Can you, maybe if you want to say a different question. Yeah. So another one you could think of would be what is one area of my life that might, um, where I might be tempted to resist or doubt the claim of the passage? Mm-hmm. Um, so you understand what the passage is saying, but you're saying, okay, where, where, where is a point in my, my own life where I struggle with that. Yeah. I yeah. struggle to actually believe that or implement mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, and some of these are, are close to the same here, but just different ways of saying it. Uh, another one could be describe someone you think who might reject the claim of this passage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you're able to, you know, think, am I like that person? Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, another one. Why do you think we can struggle uh, fully to live in the good of the passage. So why do I, assuming that what God's mm-hmm. word is saying is good, why do I struggle to live in the good of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you could say, well, what claims about God or man or the world does this truth combat? Uh, or And how might we be tempted to believe the false claim rather than the biblical claim? Mm-hmm. So identifying falsehoods, yeah. Mm-hmm. How might my life be reshaped? or sharpened by this reality this week mm-hmm. so thinking about even just your very own week how would my yeah. life be sh- shaped or sharpened yep. yeah 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 so you get the idea it's just trying to trying to come up with creative questions to to let this probe at our hearts but let's just go ahead and practice it one more time and yeah um so let's say uh the, the second peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 11 here um again this this might not be the best main point but this is what how I have it written. Okay. Um, we must pursue holiness as we wait, await the promised judgment and renewal of all things. Yeah. Seems to be his, his strong claim of the passage. We must pursue holiness as we wait 
for the promised judgment and renewal of all things. Okay. Okay. So maybe we'd even just take that first question. Uh, what sorts of what sort of beliefs might the claim of this passage challenge? Yeah, it would, you know, maybe there's a lot, but let's mm-hmm. starting yeah. with some, you know, the idea that the world doesn't have a certain deliberate end to it all. There's yeah, no right, final right. judgment, yep. just this is life is all there is. So, you know, eat, drink, and be, be merry for tomorrow we die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one might be uh, God doesn't really care what the Christian does because we've been washed by the blood. Yeah. Like th- this is written to the church. This is yeah. not, he's not, yeah. He's not commanding the unbeliever to pursue holiness. This is to the church. You must. This when he says, "What sort of people might must or ought we to be?" Because yeah. God's going to destroy the earth and make a new one, uh, new heavens, new earth. Uh, well, we should pursue holiness. Yeah, or that our ultimate. He doesn't use this language here, but our ultimate citizenship is. He talks about the home of righteousness that mm-hmm. we're going to be, mm-hmm. that we're going to dwell in this new creation. Yeah. So just realizing that, like my ultimate home is not here, but I ought to be as someone who is ultimately going to live there. I need to start living yeah. as one who belongs to that future mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even like let's even grab one of those other questions. Um, how might we struggle to live in the good of that path, the passage? Like even just going on this. A point you're raising like i'm a citizen of that world and to be asking like are there ways that i don't live in the good of that yeah well yeah there are there are ways that i kind of i think everything about the moment is what's going to give me ha- bring me happiness yeah you know, and it so. feels this world feels the most real and yeah. so i'm kind of consumed with this world yeah um i think another framework might be even just how we think about holiness. So when we talk about pursue holiness, we might come to a passage and have certain preconceived ideas of what that holiness looks like that are mm-hmm. very like just mm-hmm. maybe superficial or on the surface. And right, like right. Asking the question, what what does Peter actually mean by holiness mm-hmm. and the, the level of deep change? Um, you know, even just looking mm-hmm. at the whole book and mm-hmm. considering the whole book of what holiness would mean, what he would mean by that. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, that's yeah. good. Another one could be, I don't know where you'd put this um, – not necessarily political framework, but the framework that we sometimes think that, um, you know, this ruler or this president or these, this governing body is kind of really in control of what happens mm-hmm. and where the world is headed. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, God is. God is the one that determines that. And I can yeah, fully yeah. rest in that. Uh, now, you know, that doesn't mean we just check out, but to rest fully and say, no, foundationally, God is the one that rules that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah, so that, that's basically what, what we want to do is make sure our frameworks are being shaped and reshaped by the text. The text is king. Our framework is not. We want our frameworks to continuously come more in line underneath the scriptures. Great. Next uh, episode, our last episode in this series, we will look at the subject of application both practiced, but then also application received. Mm-hmm.